Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 19, and let's begin today's service, if we may, in verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Sinai, modern-day Egypt, of course, verse 2. But they were departed from Remphedim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and a pitch in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. Many mountains in Scripture... Mount Sinai, which we are reading about this morning. Mount Calvary, where the Lord Jesus Christ bled and died. And also the Olivet Mount Discourse, Matthew 24. And here you've got several million people again on the move, led by Moses, their commander-in-chief, if you will. There's no real similarities or there's nothing to really cite that comes anywhere near this. It's like if you try and understand Almighty God, you draw a blank. Or if you try and understand how the word of God was inspired and preserved, you draw a blank. You can't really comprehend it. You were told to believe such, of course, but you can't really understand it. Verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself, eagles' wings. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, figurative language. And yet time after time our Catholic friends would have us believe, and our Mormon friends, quote-unquote, and our JW friends would have us believe that we are to take every verse in the Bible to be literal, a literal interpretation. And of course you know, if you've ever listened to studies of mine and others over the years, that if you take every passage in Scripture, you become guilty of letterism. In fact, just this morning I was listening to a clip online concerning the late Phineas Dake, a very interesting American uh, preacher, long dead, of course. He was one of the first to put out a reference Bible, and I think from memory it has 60,000 footnotes. It's the most packed reference Bible that has ever been produced. And, of course, plagiarized later from Jimmy Swaggett. But the guy's got some dangerous beliefs. And he says this, he says that the Godhead consists of three gods, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he says this, the Father has a body, soul, and spirit. The Spirit of God has a body, soul, and spirit. And of course, Jesus Christ has a body, soul, and spirit. That is Mormonism. So you've got to be careful when you come across people like Dake. Not just Dake, Ruckman too. I heard him a few nights ago on the Trinity. He contradicted himself. On the one hand, he's preaching Trinitarian theology, correctly and beautifully. And then turns around and says, Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost incarnate. You can't preach that. That's not Trinitarianism. The point is this, that if you are forced or if you force yourself... To take every verse literally, you become guilty of letterism. Sometimes a bit of common sense is needed when it comes to understanding the scriptures. So therefore when it says, how I bear you, or how I've borne you, or how I've carried you, verse 4, on eagle's wings, figurative language. That's all it is. Almighty God isn't a literal bird. Jesus Christ wasn't the literal temple. Go back to eat my flesh, drink my blood. Got to be careful. Got to use common sense when it comes to reading the Bible. Motor went up unto God, verse 3, and the Lord... Called unto him out of the mountains, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, not the body of Christ, and tell the children of Israel, not the church, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. We've never seen this. I've never seen this. I've been a Christian almost 17 years. Never once has the Lord spoken to me in an audible voice. Never once has he appeared to me in a physical sense. And yet you go online, you read books, you go to conferences, speaker after speaker gets up and tells you, how they've seen the Lord, how he has spoken to them. And they can quote chapter and verse as to what they have seen and heard. But you were told 
First of all, how the just shall live by faith, and also the Lord will say to Thomas how blessed he had been to have been privy to witness the resurrected Christ. And yet many down the line wouldn't. In fact, everybody down the line wouldn't see the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter told you that. John told you that. John says this, and I'm paraphrasing, how can you love God, who you haven't seen, and yet hate your brother, who you have seen? And how I bear you on eagles' wings... And brought you unto myself. So verse 3, God. And then Lord. And in verse 4, myself. And I'm going to suggest this. This is the triune God speaking. Father, Son, and Spirit. Not three gods. Three distinct persons. You'd be amazed how many times people get into a mess. Over the Trinity. Somebody left a comment on one of my videos a few days ago. And they said this. They said, Jesus Christ is God the Father. And I thought, you've lost your mind. So the Father sent the Father, did he? And the Father died on the cross, and the Father is praying to the Father in Gethsemane. You see the stupidity of this. When Jesus Christ says, He that has seen the Father has seen me, he is simply referring to the fact that he has all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in him. He is demonstrating what Almighty God is all about. The Father and I are one in the sense of unity, not singleness. How can the Father send the Father? How can the Father be praying to the Father? This is how people get completely messed up. Going back to some of the great preachers. Ruckman, Trinitarian, got that right. And then turns around and says how Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost incarnate. Ridiculous. Contradicts himself. Or Phineas Dake. Some wonderful reference notes. Some good stuff in there. And then turns around and says that the Godhead consists of three separate gods. That's Mormonism. Got to be careful. Somebody once said this book will cut you. This book will really cut you to pieces if you're not careful. Use a bit of common sense if you will. Verse 5, now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, peculiar people, old English meaning a special group, a sacred group. Now for today we would say this, he's a peculiar person. She's a peculiar woman, and we use that term to denote oddness, or perhaps they're slightly eccentric, slightly odd, an odd bod, not really with it. But for the Old Testament and for the New Testament, the term peculiar means special. But verse 5 again, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, there's a sense of obedience. There's a sense of not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer. And keep my covenant. Now the covenant here is of course a three part covenant. It is moral. It is civil. It is ceremonial. The Lord Jesus Christ would tell you from Matthew 5. How he came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to complete the law. Matthew would tell you from chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. How all of the law and the prophets were up until John the Baptist. Which means John the Baptist is a final prophet. In the sense of Old Testament prophets. With the death of the testator, the New Testament is now initiated. You'd be amazed how many people can't delineate between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You'd be amazed how many people think that we, the body of Christ, are bound by the ceremonial, the civil, or even the moral aspects of the Ten Commandments. And that's where Lordship Salvation comes along. And I'll discuss that in a few weeks' time. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, verse 5, then ye, all of you, shall be a peculiar treasure... Unto me above all people, a special people, a called out people, concerning the ecclesia, the church for today. For all the earth is mine. All the earth belongs to the Lord. All souls belong to the Lord as well. 
Somebody once said how they sold their soul to the devil. Your soul belongs to the Lord. You may be living a reprobate or wicked life, but your soul, whether you're saved or unsaved, belongs to the Lord. The point is, are you saved? Have you received Christ as your saviour? For all the earth is mine, all souls are mine, picturing his sovereignty, of course. Contrast that to the pagan gods around this time. Gods of the hills, gods of the trees, gods of the seas. But Jehovah is the Lord of the entire universe and beyond. Many universes, of course. Six, and ye, children of Israel, are not the body of Christ. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. For today we are spiritual priests. For today, if you are a saved man or a saved woman, or even a saved child, you are a spiritual priest of the Lord. But for the Old Testament, they had a literal priesthood. The Levites. You should be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. We are made holy through Christ's imputation. And once we have been given everlasting life through our faith in Christ alone, the risen Savior, we are made holy. We are predestinated to be conformed to the Son of God. To be conformed to the image of God. One day we will be ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't become deity. We never become deity. We don't become part of the Godhead. That is foolishness. We don't become parts of the Trinity. We are sons of God. We are daughters of God. But we don't become deity itself. Going back to the blasphemous belief concerning the Mormons, especially how they can be godlike. And on one occasion, Joseph Smith said he saw Father, Son and Spirit as three literal men. That's not how the Trinity works. Just for the record, God the Father doesn't have a body. God the Holy Ghost does not have a body. Jesus Christ has a body and a soul and a spirit. And if you want, you could suggest this, that when Paul picks this up over in Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says body, soul and spirit. Body, soul and spirit. And if you want, that's a picture of Jesus Christ. But to go beyond that is Mickey Mouse exegesis, quite honestly. It is asegesis. Going back to Dake's ridiculous statements, how there are three gods. No, there is one God in three persons. One eternal, all-powerful God in three distinct persons. Get it right. Get it right. Otherwise, you'll be a heretic and a blasphemer. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, not the body of Christ. Now, at best, we are spiritual Israel, at best, temporarily we are the people of God for today concerning the church age of course but when the rapture comes when we are caught up to be with the Lord Revelation chapter 4 then the Lord turns back to for now anyway unbelieving secular Israel and he starts to work with them so verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6 are dealing with Moses children of Israel, Mount Sinai this is going to lead into a voluntary covenant relationship can't stress that enough Look at verse 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Simply relaying back to the elders what he has heard from the Lord. Jesus Christ would choose him out, what, 82 men? The apostle Paul and also Peter would have elders that were called upon to assist with the work of the ministry, if you will. Because no one man can do this all on his own. Going back to Jethro's advice from last week. Going back to delegation. Moses came and called for the elders of the people. Men, not women. And also around this time there is no priesthood as such. And laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Again, figurative language. Laid before their faces. In other words, he spoke to them face to face. 
intimacy. This is like a briefing, if you will, laid before their faces all the words, all these words which the Lord commanded him. Didn't leave anything out. Going back to what Paul would tell the elders at Ephesus, how he preached, was it three days from memory? Three days and three nights I preached to you. Didn't leave anything else. Elsewhere he would say that he wasn't guilty of the blood of his audience. In other words, he wasn't going to be responsible for their deaths, second deaths, eternal deaths, at the great white throne judgment. In fact, it's three and a half years, excuse me, from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Three and a half years. In fact, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Just want to make sure I've got this right. The worst thing for a saved man is to omit the deep things of the Lord, to sit on the fence, to become a coward. A lot of men are terrified to preach the whole counsel of God. I'm speaking about saved men, not unsaved, of course. 20, 31, uh, 20, 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. From Acts 20, 31. So therefore, 19.7, Exodus 19.7, you've got Moses in close proximity with his elders. He is relaying to them what the Lord has said to him. No chance of anything being lost. Going back to how a lot of people today, a lot of saved men, are terrified. Cowards, they won't call out sin, they won't preach against sin, and they won't warn unsaved people about the need to be saved. 19.8, and all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Every time I read this, it blows me away. Here you have the children of Israel. They've been slaves for 400 years. They've had to dance to the tune of Pharaoh, who was a very religious man. And Pharaoh had rules and regulations. And here they've just come into contact, or they're about to come into contact with the one true God. And he gives them rules and regulations that you can't really, well, first of all, you can't keep them. Second, you can't really understand them. And for them to say how uh, we will do all these things just blows me away. It's like, do you, do you even know what you've got yourself into? Do you really understand the Mosaic Covenant? Matthew 13, there's a similar thing here. Matthew 13, look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So should it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Look at verse 51. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Go back to the book of Exodus. But you do wonder if they really did understand everything. That came out of his mouth. Elsewhere they'd be fighting over which of them were the greatest. Who's the greatest? On one occasion he would feed, what, 5,000 people? And then five minutes after that miracle taking place, they can't work out how they're going to survive that night. There's no restaurants anywhere around them. And again, they have short memories. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. Really? You think you can keep this commandment, do you? This three-part aspects of the Ten Commandments? You really think you can keep it? Do you think today you can keep the moral law? Do you offer yourself as a good person? Do you think you are a decent person? I'm not. When I get to the judgment seat of Christ, all I want to know is where is the blood of Christ? I've got no hope outside of that. All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. You've got 600 plus commandments, and I mean 600 plus commandments. Acts chapter 15, Peter gets up and he says this, we couldn't keep the law. We couldn't keep it. 
It was a heavy burden for us. And therefore, to avoid the Gentiles being crippled, like we were concerning the children of Israel, they are going to be saved by their faith in Christ alone, as with the Jews, of course. But for the Jews back in the early church, they had, or they felt, an obligation to retain some of the Jewish customs and rituals, which, strictly speaking, were done away with in Christ. Going back to Matthew chapter 5. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. It's a three-way communication. Moses, seven times he goes up to the mount, seven times he comes down. So in total, the seven trips up and down the mounts, he is receiving ongoing revelations. It's almost like he is saying to the Lord, they agree, Lord, they accept your terms and conditions. And then turns around and tells the people, the Lord is happy with this, the Lord is happy with that. Mediator. There was only one God and one mediator between men and God, the man Christ Jesus. You can't miss it, can you? Nine. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. So again, you tell me, Lord, what you want me to know, and I'll turn around and tell the people what you want them to know. And I will then tell the Lord what the people want you to know. Mediator. Picturing how you can't go to heaven without faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And after three days, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Wash your clothes. Now, for the Old Testament, this is literally a chore. This is part of their ritual. Wash yourselves. Keep yourselves clean. There's an account when David was on the run from Saul, and he comes into contact with the high priest, and maybe in Abathar, uh, from memory. And he says to David, are your men all clean? Like have they been with women of late? And he says, no, my men are all clean. Like they've abstained from intercourse, so on and so forth. And the high priest says, that's okay. Into the house of God you can go. Now for today, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that's why you have to be so careful as a saved man or a saved woman, how you think, how you speak, how you operate. You can become defiled very quickly. Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts. Your heart is where you are defiled. And if your heart is darkened, if your heart is wicked, if your heart hasn't been renewed, you're in a bad way. You are carnal. Going back to the problem in Corinth. All this backbiting, people saying they would follow Paul, they would follow Apollos, they would follow Simon Peter. And Paul gets up one day and says, but who died for your sins? That's right, it was God the Father, wasn't it? No, he doesn't say that. He says, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Going back to the absurdity, how Jesus Christ is God the Father. How can he be God the Father? Did God the Father send God the Father? Is God the Son simply lying to his audience? You see the stupidity and the dangerous aspect of this. Some people, they can't read. They can't read basic English. You've got three personal masculine pronouns in the Word of God. The Father enjoys a masculine personal pronoun, as does the Son, as does the Spirit. So, for now, like I say, you got, or you offer yourself as a clean vessel, you want to live a sanctified life, you want to be used for the Lord, you want to honour him, then you need to be careful what you say and do, and how you live. And here, these uh, people, children of Israel, are getting ready to come into contact with deity. 
Lord said unto Moses, verse 10, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Wash yourselves, clean yourselves, and let them wash their clothes. He wants to remind them that the Lord is holy, and they are not. He wants to remind them that one day they will stand in his presence and give an account of their lives to him. Every word will be judged, every thought, deed, and action will be judged. And this is something which most people need to remind themselves. And be ready against the third day. Picturing the resurrection, of course. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sights of all the people upon Mount Sinai. The Father, the Son, and the Spirits all work together to resurrect the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And here, again, this is dealing with holiness. This is dealing with purity. This is dealing with, with abstaining from all appearances of sin. Look at 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye you go not up unto the mount. To touch the border of it, whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, for he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be by whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. John fourteen six No man comes unto the Father but by me. Acts four twelve There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. What has been stated here very clearly is again, God is holy and you are not. And if you approach the throne of grace, and in the context it's Mount Sinai, with unclean hands, defiled bodies, you will die. Even animals have been warned to stay away. And yet go back to the Egyptians, parts of their religion would be the worship of animals, the adoration of insects, sacredness you see, go to India, go to Bangladesh today, same sort of a thing. Hindus worship their animals, and if you knock an animal over on the streets in India especially, you can be arrested, put before the courts, and yet gang rape is okay. There are some horrific stories coming out of India of gang rapes. Young girls, 10, 11, 12, raped by five or six men. No big deal. And some of those stories, if they ever come to the knowledge of the, of the media, take months, sometimes years, to come to court. And many times they are kicked out of court because these courts are held in rural areas, a lot of superstition. And yet, if you knock a pig over, if you knock a cow over or a horse over, you can get whipped, lashed. This is the absurdity of it all, you see. But I look at verse 12 and I see bounds set around. And the Lord says again, take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. John 21, Jesus has come up from the dead and he sees Mary Magdalene and she starts to grab him, starts to embrace him. And he says, don't even touch me, Mary. I haven't yet ascended to my father and your father, my God and your God. And yet... Go back to the absurdity of it uh, concerning how Jesus Christ is God the Father. Why would he say that? Why would the Father say, don't touch me. I am the Father going to my Father. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the Son going to my Father and your Father. And my God and your God. Picturing he's still on the earth as a son of man. Do you realise how stupid it sounds when you teach that? That Jesus Christ is God the Father. The absurdity of it. But the point is this. Jesus Christ comes up out of the tomb. Son of God. Not God the Father. She sees him, she runs to him, she grabs him, she starts to kiss him, embrace him, probably kisses his feet as well. A wonderful picture of submission. And he says, don't even touch me. I'm in the process of going back to glory. If you touch me, in a sense, you will live forever in a fallen state. 
going back to Adam and Eve. Kick them out of the garden. They now know what we know concerning the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If they take of the tree, they will live forever in their fallen state, of course. So the mercy of God says, kick them out of Eden. Let them go onto the earth, live and die. And the same will be true of Mary. You're going to go into the earth or back into society, live and die like everyone else, and wait for the resurrection. Revelation chapter 20. Concerning Israel, not the church. Don't touch the mounts or the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. Sacredness, you see. And yet you've got people who think they can just breeze into heaven and start bragging about their good works, their holiness, their religion, like they have anything to offer the Lord. What can you possibly offer him? And some of these people that believe that Jesus Christ is God the Father also believe that you are saved by your faith and your works. What a joke. What can you possibly offer the Lord? All of the earth is his, verse 5. All souls are his. And yet people think they can offer him something. These people are mentally sick. 13. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall be surely stoned. Get away from the mount. Get away from the Lord. This also feeds back into the Gospel of Matthew concerning the marriage supper. And one, uh, one guy turns up. Is it Matthew 22 from memory? I think it's Matthew 22. And this one guy turns up at the banquet and he's not wearing a particular garments, a particular clothing. And the king says to his servants, who's that guy over there? And they say, I don't know your majesty. And they see this guy very near the throne of the king. And he says, bring him over to me. And he says to the man, who are you? How do you get into my presence? And the guy says, well, I was a pretty good man, your majesty. I gave money to the poor. I helped the Salvation Army. I helped charities. I would do this. I would do that. I would go on fun runs. I would raise money for cancer research. I would give money to save the whale. I was a good vegan. I was a good this. I was a good that. And the Lord said, bind him, hand and feet. He's come into my presence as a filthy sinner. He thinks he's going to just walk into glory. I offered him my son's righteousness and yet he didn't want it. He thought he was a good enough person. He blasphemed my name. Every Christmas time he got drunk. Every Christmas time he put a tree up in his house. Every Christmas time he would sing carols at midnight mass. He would do this, he would do that. And then straight home, get himself drunk, blaspheme, beat up his wife. A real menace, a real religious menace to himself and to others, a hypocrite. That sort of person that goes to hell. Thinks he is religious, doesn't live like perhaps serial killers, rapists or murderers. And yet his heart is desperately wicked. And that's why the Lord says, you'll be shot through or stoned, whether it be beast or man. Did you get that? Whether it be beast or man. Going back to Hinduism is a false religion. Pagan, Egypt was a false religion. They deify animals. They worship animals. They raise up animals to the level of mankind. Going back to you trying to get a prosecution in parts of India. You can't get it. The government won't prosecute some of these uh, awful events concerning gang rape and some of those gang rapes are resulting in women being murdered one woman was, was uh, thrown off a bus in New Delhi I think it was New Delhi thrown off a bus raped by five or six men yes there was an outcry it took ages to get to court ages I guess she's less than an animal you go to the Middle East a woman is half a man did you know that if you are raised in a Muslim country a woman's testimony is half of that of a man but you don't hear much from these social warrior justice people, do you? Denouncing Islam. But they would denounce Christianity, wouldn't they, quick enough? It shall not live. Whether, uh, when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mounts. So 13 verses very clearly and unequivocally showing you the holiness of the Lord, something that you are not, the sacredness of the Lord. 
the absolute dire need to walk a very fine line and also to come to him on his terms, not your own. Going back to, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other name whereby we must be saved. One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 14 and our close. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. Literal washing because they're going to be in the presence of deity. He's going to come down from heaven. Also, very interestingly, the Ten Commandments are going to be given not in the promised land, but on Mount Sinai. So one more time, the Ten Commandments are given in Egypt at the top of a mount. Mount Sinai from the Lord, not Moses. These Ten Commandments weren't given to the Jews in the promised land. They were given outside because, first of all, that's a good picture of having faith to go into the promised land. Picturing our walk with the Lord and also picturing the reality that they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And now they're going to be a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, because our God is royal, and a holy nation. Peter picks us up also in his epistle, and he wrote his epistle to saved Jews. But the distinctions have to be cleared up and clarified time after time. Going back to the church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. So 14 verses, wash your clothes, which they would do physically for today. We wash ourselves spiritually. We confess our sins every day. We walk in the spirits, and when we fail, and we certainly do, we confess it to the Lord. Preferably before we go to sleep at the end of each day. But if you can, confess your sins straight away. Don't allow your sins to go unconfessed. Because if you do, the devil will come along, get his claws into you. And it says how he is able to go around like a roaring, roaring lion. Seeking to devour whom he will. Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye you go not up unto the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall be surely stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. So straight away you are shown very clearly and unequivocally how God is holy and you are not. How God is good, and you are not. How God is pure, and you are not. This goes back to the exclusivity of Almighty God. How there isn't a just man on the face on the face of the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. How we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and yet time after time, I meet people in the streets and they say this to me: "Well, I'll take my chances at the judgment. I will take my chances upon death." And yet these same people. Don't say that when they go to school. They don't say, I'm going to quit school and take my chances. Or I'm going to quit college or university and take my chances. Or I'm not going to bother having a driving lesson. I'll just take my chances until the police pull me over. They all play by the rules when it comes to society. But when it comes to scripture, a good number of these people lose their minds. If the truth were known and tried to approach Almighty God or a God, which they made in their own image to somehow make it they think they can negotiate with almighty god it is terrifying set bounds unto the people round about verse 12 saying take heed to yourselves beware of this that you go not up unto the mount stay away from the mounts 
Take off your shoes, Moses. You are on holy ground. One occasion, Joshua saw the commander of the Lord. Same sort of a thing. Get off your shoes, Joshua, on your face, Joshua. You're in the presence of deity. Or touch the border of it, whosoever or whatsoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. Surely put to death. And people still think they are going to arrive in eternity and negotiate with the Lord. These people lost their minds. You have nothing whatsoever to offer the Lord. I mean nothing. That's why it's always been grace from the Old Testament into the New Testament. New Testament throughout the entire era of the church age into the tribulation and even into the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't save it any you can't save yourself any other way. You'd be amazed how many people are in James chapter two, when they should be in Romans chapter four. Whosoever or whatsoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death, there shall not an hand touch it. Not even a hand touch it, don't even come near it, but he shall be surely stoned, publicly stoned, how about that? Or shot through, like with a dart, bow and arrow, whether it be beast or man, going back to what I said last week. Parts of India and Pakistan worship their animals. They deify their animals and they demote mankind. And if you come across a man or woman in India, especially who runs over an animal or somebody who wants to defile the river Ganges, a public outcry would ensue. And yet you've got people that are being raped. And not only women, which I mentioned last week, but also boys. A lot of boys are being raped. A lot of boys are being kidnapped. And yet there's almost no public outcry but if you run over an animal if you are seen to mistreat an animal it's major news and here the lord says i don't care if it's a man or a beast if it comes anywhere near me i'm going to kill it that shows the holiness of the lord that shows you that you need to do things on his terms not your own it shall not live to reiterate 12 and 13 when the trumpet soundeth long they shall come up to the mount in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the seven thunders. And on one occasion, John was going to write down seven thunders. It means A, B, and C. And the Lord says, don't write it down, John. It's for your eyes only. Going back to how the Jews had eyes, physical eyes, but could not see in a spiritual sense. They had ears in a physical sense, but could not hear in a spiritual sense. Most of the world is in a daze. In fact, I was watching a video day before yesterday. haven't watched all of it. Just the first few moments and I was scrolling through the comments. Always a mistake to do that incidentally. Always watch a video first before you read the comments. And yet I always do it back to front. And I watched maybe three or four minutes of an hour and 20 long minute video. I will watch it all when I get a chance. And I read some of the comments and a Catholic left a comment. And it went along the lines of this. 33,000 Protestant denominations. Contrast that to one united Holy Mother Church. I get sick of that lie. I've heard that lie for a long time now. Just for the record, there are not 33,000 Protestant denominations. There are not 30,000 Protestant denominations. There aren't even 300 Protestant denominations. If the truth were known, there are only two. Only two. How many Bibles are there? You may say there's 10. You may say there's 20. You may say there is 30. You may say there is 40. You may say there is 50. You may push it and say there is 100. And that's really pushing it. But in essence, there are only two Bibles, just two Bibles, just two Protestant churches. When it comes to churches, you have one church, which is the true church, of course, which preaches faith in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Contrast that to the other church, which preaches baptism, speaking in tongues, good works, 
living the golden rule, etc., etc., etc. Switch over to the Bibles. You've got really just two Bibles. You've got the King James Bible and all of the others. And that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. 33,000 Protestant denominations? I don't think so. It's a very rounded figure. I don't believe it. It's not even half it. Not even a quarter of it. Just two denominations. Two Protestant denominations. One says he paid it all. The other says you have to pay it. One says, uh, pick up your cross and follow me because you are saved. The other one says, put yourself on the cross in order to get saved. That's all there is to it. Two Bibles. One is King James. The other is not. Could be NIV. It could be the New King James. It could be the ESV. It could be the Message Bible. That's all there is to it. And here, 12 and 13, is simply reiterating the fact that he is holy. He is righteous. His ways are not our ways. Our ways are not his ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. You can't comprehend the Lord. And yet what does mortal man do? He tries to comprehend the Lord. Dangerous thing to do. This also feeds into idolatry, which we'll look at maybe the week after next. Lord willing, this time next week, we will arrive at chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And the greatest sin, if you did not know, is a sin of idolatry. And we'll spend some considerable time looking at that. Look at verse 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And they washed their clothes. They washed their clothes. Moses went down from the mount and sanctified the people, made them clean. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. But if we confess our sins, his faith and just to forgive us of our sins. It's about fellowship. It's about a relationship. It doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried, employed or un- unemployed. You know what this is all about. Let's say you are employed and you arrive at work late every day. After a while, you fall out with your employer, right? You are setting a bad example to the rest of your employees. You're also dishonoring yourself. Or let's say you keep being an unfaithful or an unreliable or a dissatisfied spouse. It's the same sort of a thing. And here Moses is shaping up the people to become the people of God. But sanctification for the New Testament is an ongoing event. We will never reach perfection in this lifetime. No matter how hard you try, you will never reach perfection. Not long from now, we'll be arriving in a new year. People are going to have their New Year's resolutions. Most people don't get past the first week. And they say this, well, I'm going to lose two, three stone. I'm going to stop eating this. I'm going to stop eating that. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. And within maybe two or three days, they quit bothering. Going back to, you're no good anyway. But you try and get people to understand that. 15, and he said unto the people, be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. Don't defile yourselves with your wives or your husbands. Stay in a state of cleanness. 1 Corinthians 7 says of a couple come together in a marital sense and one is saved and the other isn't the saved party remains clean undefiled and if this couple married couple have children which are perhaps not saved they remain clean that's the mercy of the lord and here this is speaking about physical cleanness but for the new testament it is spiritual cleanness going back to one standing and one states in the lord when you got saved if you are saved you are Not only innocent, not only declared not guilty, but as far as the Lord is concerned, you are just as clean, just as pure as the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you comprehend it? Of course you can't. But you're told to believe it. And you may say, well, I'm still doing this. I'm still doing that. I haven't got control over this. haven't got control over that. You know what? You never will do. You never will do. 
some of the greatest preachers, some of the greatest holiness preachers that have lived over the last 100 years, all had problems in their lives. All had problems. It could be David Wilkerson, it could be uh, Leonard Ravenhill, it could be John Wesley, who married a demon-possessed woman, and I mean a demon-possessed woman. The greatest holiness preacher was John Wesley, a real strong Arminian, and yet when it came to women, he was a failure. He'd be giving meetings, this woman would storm into the meeting, start cussing at him, cursing at him, calling him all the names under the sun. People say, who's that awful woman at the back of the church? Shouting her head off. That's his wife. And these two would get into a fight. And I mean a physical fight. He'd be getting her by the hair and dragging her around the church. Save men. But when it came to women, he was a failure. David Wilkerson was a big name in America. He preached in New York. Very charismatic, very articulate. A lot of people liked him. He was the, I think, the writer of the switchblade. The cross and the switchblade, from memory. And I watched that movie, made back in the 60s. Interesting movie. Uh, I think Pat Boone played him for memory. And David Wilkerson was a very holiness preacher, a real holiness preacher. And yet he thought Catholics were Christians. And he said that charismatic uh, Catholics were in the body of Christ. Lost his mind. He doesn't realize that the Church of Rome curses him. The Church of Rome would say Wilkerson is an unsaved, separated member of the Protestant denomination. Going back to the Council of Trent. You've got to watch these people. Some of the greatest preachers that have ever lived, and I'm sure they're saved. They got justification right. They got the blood of Christ right. But when it came to their own lives, they were failures. I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to. Look at verse uh, 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Third day. Third day. Evening in the morning with a third day. Third day he comes up out of the tomb. You can't miss it, can you? And here you've got verse 16. Thunders, thunders and lightnings, thick cloud upon the mount, voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Do you tremble at the word of the Lord? Do you tremble? Last time I checked, there are two or three dozen Bibles which have been produced over the last 100 years. They don't tremble at the word of the Lord. They take words out. The NIV has taken 60,000 words out. Do they tremble? Do you tremble? Trumpet, verse 13. Thunders and lightning, verse 16. Smoke, verse 18. Get there shortly. These all denote languages, like at the great white throne judgment. And I believe when unsaved people arrive in eternity, God will speak to them in their own tongues. Also, this picture's works being tried and tested at the judgment seats of the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning those of us which are saved. Judgments, rewards and crowns, feeding into smoke and fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All of our works are going to be tried and tested. The most amount of crowns we can receive will be five. And on top of getting five crowns, if we are really fortunate, we get the keys to our mansions. And those mansions, as I understand it, are in the Millennial Kingdom, New Jerusalem. And yet going back to... What happens if you don't live the way you should live after you are saved? You could lose the keys to your mansion. You could lose five. You could lose four. You could lose three. You could lose two. You could lose one crown. Lose all five crowns and end up barren. Also note how the fire and the smoke from verse 18 doesn't burn up. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether parts of the mounds. Moses is one man. Messiah was one man. Moses is mediating between himself and around 5 million Jews 
Messiah is mediating between himself and maybe 25, 30 billion people from all of eternity, from all of time. Word of God says how God is no respecter of persons. Well, he certainly showed respect to Moses and Messiah. You've got 5 million Jews, 1,500 years BC, and out of 5 million Jews, or let's say 4 million Jews, let's say 3 million Jews, let's be really conservative. Out of 3 million Jews, he picks himself one man out of, say, 35 billion people, or let's bump it right down to, say, 5 billion people from creation up until the end of the first century AD. Let's bring it down to half a billion. Let's be really, really conservative now. 500 million people from Adam to the end of the first century. Jesus is born, what, 4 BC? He dies 30 AD. Out of, what, half a million people? Make the half a billion people, excuse me. Out of half a billion people, Almighty God chooses himself one man. Going back to, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. How no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Look at 17 again. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount, lower parts of the mount, elsewhere. And later on in scripture it would say, come up hither. These people aren't yet on par with with the Lord. They can't even see him. They can hear him. Going back to 13, going back to 16, and also about to go into verse 18. But they can't yet see the Lord. If you think of Muhammad very briefly, if you think of Islam very briefly, it's very interesting when we compare people from the ancient world. If you think of Muhammad, just very briefly, he couldn't read, he couldn't write, illiterate. Everything that he knew about the book that I'm currently holding this morning, he got from third parties. Isn't that frightening? He couldn't read, he couldn't write. He couldn't check Genesis out for himself. He couldn't check Exodus out for himself. He couldn't check Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy out for himself. He couldn't check out the first five books of the Bible. Everything, and I mean everything, that he knew about the Bible, going back to the first five books of the Bible, whether it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, he got from third parties. Isn't that terrifying? His wives, his concubines, for the most part, were also illiterate. And we call this a pooling of ignorance. And that man, according to Islam, is their greatest man that ever lived. He couldn't read, he couldn't write. Terrifying, isn't it? Go back to the Dark Ages... Most people couldn't read or write. The priest got up and did the Mass in Latin. They had no idea what he was talking about. They knew parts of the Mass, of course. They could follow bits of the Mass, but they couldn't follow every part of the Mass. They couldn't even read or write in English, in their own languages. I mean, that's power, isn't it? That's really, that's really power. Well, that's real power. It's also misuse of power. At least Moses could read and write. At least the Messiah could read and write. At least the apostles could read and write. At least we can read and write. But Muhammad couldn't. 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. Fire and smoke and yet nothing is consumed. Picturing the unsaved dead. Burning up forever. No annihilation. The devil goes into hell. Revelation 20. And after 1,000 years is allowed out, and he's still functioning. He hasn't been burnt up, there's no annihilation. And therefore, the unsaved are going to die, go into hell, second death, and they don't burn up. They never burn up, forever conscious. They live forever because they have souls, and because they're made in the image of God, and he too has a soul, they don't burn up. The soul cannot burn up. At Mount Sinai, modern-day Egypt... 
was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord, triune God, descended upon it in fire. Now in the context, this is to make people clean, to purify people. But think about the great white throne judgment. Think about the second death. Or if you will, think about the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Ghost came in the apostles. And you see that the Lord is the person, the source behind something which is about to take place. Going back to the, the, uh, the reality that if the Lord didn't take the initiative to do this, nobody would have come to him. Do you know something? If, if it hadn't been for the Lord revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and subsequent Jewish patriarchs, it's my belief that we would all be worshipping stones, sticks and trees. Because man is very religious. You have to go to university in the UK to be educated out of it. But the truth of the matter is that we are all very religious. And the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. Well, of course, thunders and lightnings, trumpets are blowing. In eternity, people are going to arrive at the, could be the great white throne judgment, unsaved. And the Lord is going to speak to them in their own languages. Or the great white throne judgment, like I say, or the judgment seats of the Lord. And he will speak to you in your own tongue. And he will judge you. In fact, here's a quick thought for you. You were told from the book of Romans, chapter for for memory how you as an unsaved man you as an unsaved woman are going to be able to judge the lord did you know that you can judge him it won't get you anywhere of course but you can still judge him before he judges you paul says how every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty will become silent thankfully we, you know we won't be there we are the redeemed we go to the judgment seats of the lord to get Anywhere up to five crowns and the keys to our mansions. But for the unsaved, wicked dead, Romans 4 says they can judge the Lord. And they can ask him all their questions. But, the, uh, but Lord, there's so many denominations. I couldn't know which was the true one. There's so many Bible translations out there. I had no idea which was the correct one. There's so many religions out there. I didn't know which was the correct one. You know, cut through it like a knife through butter. Look at 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long... And waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Adam and Eve, where art thou? What are you doing? They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, Jew and Gentile. And God answered him by a voice. Triune God answered him, Moses, by a voice. Going back to... On this occasion, how the Lord chosen one man out of millions, contrast that to one man being the Messiah out of billions. And you still think your religion is on par with this? Really? He doesn't say, I'm going to speak to multiple people down the line. In fact, here's another thought for you. Our Muslim friends would, would, uh, would have us believe that from the death of Christ, 30 AD, until the 6th century when Muhammad arrived, we were in complete darkness. Nobody knew anything. We were all desperately waiting for Muhammad to arrive, who couldn't read, who couldn't write. And somehow this man who had, what, 24 wives and concubines, married a six-year-old girl, Aisha, was going to straighten us out. I mean, just think about it for so one moment, if you will. By the 6th century, we've got the Old Testament, the New Testament. The man, Christ Jesus, has come to earth, died for every man, woman and child, gone back to heaven. He says, if you believe that, if you trust in that, if you put your faith in my shed blood, you are saved. How can you improve on that? I mean, seriously, how can you improve on that? And then some guy arrives, back end of Saudi Arabia, perhaps, if he even existed, and goes around saying, hold on a minute, you guys have all got it wrong. Jesus is Esau, and I'm the final prophet. 
And that old reprobate who couldn't read or write, the older literate, says from the Gospel of John, where it speaks about the Holy Spirit coming, the Comforter, he says, that's me. (laughs) He said, I'm the Comforter. I'm the Holy One. I'm the Holy Ghost. And his wife, some of them are Catholic, some of them had been Jews, couldn't read or write for the most part, are tickling Muhammad's ears. You are the great prophet, Muhammad. And yet for, what, 500 years, 600 years, according to Muhammad and co., the whole world was in darkness. Talk about deceiving yourself and being deceived. 20. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mounts. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mounts. And Moses went up seven times in total. Moses will go up and go down. He is mediating between himself and around five, perhaps four, perhaps three million Jews. At most, six million. Jesus Christ takes Peter, Andrew and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Muhammad never went up onto any mount. Messiah would go up and down several times. Sermon on the Mount. All the liberals, all of the progressives, all of the globalists like to preach about the Sermon on the Mount. And of course they pick and choose which parts they like from that. But again, Moses is in the driving seat. Outside of Moses, you didn't know anything. Outside of Moses, you were just as lost as a blind man in broad daylight. You had no idea what was going on outside of Moses. Had you wanted to know anything around this time in history, you would have had to have been at the feet of Moses. Contrast that to the New Testament. The Lord is around 30 when he starts his ministry. It's all over by the age of 33. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, you didn't know anything. There was nothing worth knowing outside of him. And that's how the Lord operates. He works through certain people. Now for today, we preach Christ crucified. We preach about the blood of Christ. We don't preach about any other plan of salvation. And if you come across ministries online which preach lordship salvation, which preach turning more of your sins in order to be saved, or teach you must be baptized in order to be saved, they are all bloodless and also crossless ministries. There's no gospel there. Going back to, there aren't 33,000 denominations, there aren't even 300 denominations. Not even three denominations, they're just two. One teaches faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, total faith in the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Contrast that to the other crowd which don't believe that. Could be the JWs, could be the Mormons, could be the SDA, could be the Catholics, could be the Protestants, the Church of England, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Salvation Army, etc, etc, etc. And here's the quickest way. Here's the quickest way to really get to the heart of the matter. Here's the, here's the quickest way to really drill into what a person stands for. Next time you come into contact with a church or ministry or a religious person, just ask that person, how do you go to heaven? You've got 20 seconds to live. What's the good news? And that will tell you straight away whether they are appreciative, educational or informed about the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or are just as lost as your next door neighbour. 21, and the Lord said unto Moses, go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. You couldn't even look at the Lord. You couldn't even look at him. And yet people think they're going to just breeze into heaven and shoot their mouths off, telling him what a great man or great woman they were. You've got no chance. Going back to the man at the marriage, uh, marriage ceremony, Gospel of Matthew, and he breezes into the king's company, and I discussed that last week. He goes to hell because he's not wearing the garments of the Lord. Christ's imputation, you see. 22. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, 
lest the Lord break forth upon them. Now the priests are warned. But what do the Catholics say? Thou art a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That priesthood, incidentally, is a non-transferable priesthood. There's no Melchizedek priesthood today. There's no Aaronic priesthood today. The Mormons have also been deceived by that lie. Look at 22 again. And at the priests also. Now in the context, the priests aren't yet ready to go. They are called elders from verse 7. But one day, they're going to become the Levites. For today, if you are a saved man or a saved woman, you are, you are a spiritual priesthood. A spiritual priest. Luther got that right. He got several things wrong, but he got that right. Which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. He almost killed Moses over the uh, circumcision incident. And Zipporah got a stone out, got a sharp knife of some kind, and dealt with the son, which had been left out, hadn't been circumcised, and she cut off his foreskin. You're messing with a holy God. Outside of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no way, there is no way to be reconciled unto him. And I get sick and tired of watching these self-righteous Arminians online, or Catholics especially, or Calvinist, Calvinists, which are into Lordship Salvation, preaching and attacking and trying to get people to clean up their lives, trying to get people to better themselves, trying to get people to be holy when they can't be holy themselves, completely missing imputation. 23. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. Reiterating what he has been told, and also saying to the Lord in a roundabout way, Please don't kill them, dear Lord. They are just keen to meet you. They are keen to see you. They've heard all about you, going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For most of them, this will be the first time that they will ever see or hear the voice of the Lord. But if you think of Jesus Christ, he would say on one occasion, He that has seen me has seen the Father. And you'd be amazed how many people misunderstand that. There's a new movement at the moment, which is now teaching that Jesus Christ is God the Father. Biblical illiterates, of course, they've been completely deceived. In essence, Jesus Christ was telling the people of Israel that in me dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's quite a statement to make. But here, priests stay away, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Moses said unto the Lord, 23 again, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us. You've already told us, Lord, saying, Set bounds upon the mounts and sanctify it. Moses was terrified. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be terrified? Trumpets have been mentioned, verse 13. Thunders and lightnings, verse 16. Smoke, verse 18. And Moses, Israel's first commander-in-chief, if you will, is fearful. It's kind of natural, isn't it? Joshua would also be fearful. And he was a real man after the Lord's own heart. David, another man. And here, Moses is a type of Messiah. And of course, the Messiah really would radiate all of the goodness, all of the godliness, everything that would consist or concern the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But just for the record, one more time, Jesus Christ was not God the Father. That is spiritual suicide, if you come out with such a statement. 24. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. He goes up, he comes down. Christ goes up to heaven, he comes down. He will taste death for every man. 
And I mean every man. He would conquer death. He would pay for your sins and my sins. But here it's all about keeping the Lord happy. It's all about staying between heaven and earth. It's very difficult to comprehend the ministry of Moses or the ministry of the Messiah. But you see, the key word has got to be mediator. There's only one God and one mediator between men and God, the man Christ Jesus. So just a very quick recap and I will close chapter 19. And you may care to know that we are now in the 29th hour. This will be month number 12 and we've covered a lot of ground over the past 12 months next Sunday by the grace of God we will arrive at the halfway mark the halfway mark chapter 20 the 10 commandments but here we are still building up to the 10 commandments and I still go back to verse 8 again and all the people answered together and said all that the Lord hath spoken we will do and I'm still staggered by that all that the Lord hath spoken we will do they had no idea what they were getting themselves into You enter into a covenant with the one true eternal God. You can't please him. You don't come anywhere near honouring him. When Paul told you how we all fall short of the glory of God, we miss it by a mile. We miss the mark by a mile. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So for the Old Testament, the Jews have been invited into a relationship with Jehovah. It's going to be really bumpy. The first three members of Moses' family... Two boys and a girl are not going to go into the promised land. They will blow it and we'll discuss Aaron's failure down the line. Miriam, the first prophetess in the sense of praising and worshipping the Lord. She blows it, dies prematurely. Aaron blows it, dies prematurely. Moses blows it, dies prematurely. And you think you just breeze into heaven, do you? You think you're something special, do you? Because you no longer smoke or drink anymore. Or you no longer go to nightclubs anymore. But are you saved? I can think of three or four, maybe five people that have all cleaned their lives up and not one of them is a Christian. Not one of them is a Christian. So one last time, you've got smoke, you've got fires, you've got thunders and lightnings, you've got a picture there of the judgment at the great white throne, a picture of the crowns and rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. You've got Moses as a mediator. You've got the Messiah as a mediator. You've got animals being prohibited along with people from coming anywhere near the Lord's presence, going back to... You can deify animal, you can elevate animal up to the level of deity like the Egyptians would do. It makes no difference to the Lord. You're dealing with an eternal, holy being. A being who never sinned a day in his life. And that's why when Christ died on the cross, and he would say, uh, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the first time ever, sin touched the triune God. You can't comprehend that. Sin touched the triune God. Sin affected the second member of the triune Godhead. You can't comprehend that. And for a period of time, the father couldn't look at the son. The son probably closed his eyes, looking at the father, and the spirit perhaps turned his back on a blood-soaked saviour hanging on Calvary's cross. But we'll close it there with the final thought, the final statement, how Moses is about to introduce the people of Israel to Jehovah, They will enter voluntarily. And again, I can't stress this enough. They will enter voluntarily. They will enter voluntarily. They weren't coerced. They will enter voluntarily like the plan of salvation. You have to get saved yourself. Nobody can make you get saved. And verse 8, they would enter voluntarily into this covenant. And salvation is exactly the same. You enter voluntarily. And once you enter into this covenant, you play by the rules. And for the saved man or woman who is saved today, 
He too, she too, plays by the rules. And when they stop playing by the rules, the Lord will deal with them severely. For the Old Testament, he would kill people in their thousands. Today, a lot of people are sick in a spiritual sense. And yes, some are sick in a physical sense, leading up to the sin unto death. But however you want to approach this, God is holy and you are not. He has rules and regulations which you can't live up to. And he can't dismiss those rules and regulations if he was to do so. He'd no longer be God. He'd be just as wicked as we are. So he has to remain God while at the same time allowing man to be man. And that's where Jesus Christ comes into the equation. Very God, very man. Could relate to God, could relate to mankind. Muhammad doesn't get anywhere near this. I don't get anywhere near this. You don't get anywhere near this. And nor does the Pope either. We'll close it there and next week pick it up from chapter 20 which will be week number 50.